Father, thank you for uh, bringing us here this morning, Lord. Thank you for being, being the truth, Lord. And we are, we are constantly trying to shape our lives around um, our own version of the truth. And we think that it's going to free us and it's really just imprisoning us. And so, Lord, we come here this morning because you invite us, you call us, you command us as your people to come and worship you because it's right, because you are the God of all glory. You are so good and you are so sovereign and you are all powerful and you are full of steadfast love and you call us here because it's good for us. That's what we need. We need to be reminded of the truth because uh, your truth sets us free. So Lord, I pray that as we meet here worshiping you together that you would continue to do what you've already begun, which is to set our hearts free again, anew, afresh this week from all of the ways and the things and the people and the thoughts that imprison us um, that are all lies. And I pray that you set us free in your truth now. So give us ears to hear, uh, give us teachable hearts, give us eyes to see and minds to know and understand who you are and how good you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can have a seat. So when I was in middle school, one of my one of my favorite things to do in middle school was to prank call people. And we would build our weekends around this. We'd go to our friends' houses, we'd go into the basement, and we'd get around the speakerphone and see who could come up with the best stuff. And my favorite stuff was always um, whatever I could do to get adults to believe me and do something in response to what I said. So one of my very most successful and all-time favorite pranks was to uh, call random people between midnight, 1 a.m., and uh, be the local radio DJ for our classic rock station and tell them, uh, it's like, hey, this is DJ Dan. Who's this? And they're like, what? DJ Dan's calling me? Uh, yeah, this is Brian. Brian, we're down here in the Kroger parking lot for Vol Midnight Madness. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, so big Vol fans. Uh, and uh, how'd you like to get tickets to the Florida game? Like, oh, yeah, man, I'd love it. Well, you got 20 minutes to come down here to the Kroger parking lot. We'll see you soon. I'm like, all right, I'll be there. And it just brought me so much joy in a, a really sick way to think about these adults. I'm, a, I'm like a seventh grade kid, and these grown people are getting in their cars at one in the morning and going to an empty parking lot. And uh, what I was really excited about was how, like, I made them live in my version of the truth. And that's what we're talking about today. And that's what the Lord is addressing in, uh, in this commandment and in this text is um, how we as people go throughout life trying to get other people to live in our version of the truth. And, uh, and we think that that is going to set us free if we could just get everyone to live in our version of the truth. But it's actually what's, what's killing us. And um, Jesus has come to, to show us a different way. And so um, I'm going to read first our, our passage. We're, we're going through this series called Thy Kingdom Come. And we're looking at the Ten Commandments. We, we talked about how we are a kingdom of priests as God's people and so how do we live as a kingdom of priests? And God has given us these commandments and said, this is how you live. And, and our working definition of commandment is these are pathways that we allow God to take us by the hand and walk us down these pathways. And so as we walk these pathways of these commandments with God, um, that's how we are going to find life in him. And that's how we're going to draw others into life with him. And so today we are looking at um, Exodus 20, verse 16. 
And this, this commandment says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so what we're doing in this series is we are looking at these commandments in light of Jesus interpreting them for us and fleshing them out in a, a fuller way. And so uh, we're looking at parables and encounters that Jesus has with others to, to flesh these commandments out. So today we're going to be in John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40. And here, just a little context as we read this. Uh, this is in the process of Jesus going to the cross. And so where we find ourselves is the, the Jewish rulers have already taken him and had this kind of kangaroo court where they've passed judgment on him, and now they have to bring him to Pilate, who's the Roman governor who's over them. So if you want to think about it like, think about Chinatown in New York City. Uh, it's kind of like how the Jews lived within the Roman government. It's like they had their own, maybe like a beefed up Chinatown. It's like they had their own rulers in the way that they did things, but they were still ultimately answerable to the Roman government. And so that's where we pick up in our story here. And it says this, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. So where we are going here is, is we're asking that same question and, and getting underneath why Pilate's asking that question, what is truth? And then we're going to talk about the truth, and then we're going to talk about how the truth sets us free. So what is truth? Uh, the commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, remember that Jesus and even God, as he gave the commandments in Exodus, is always concerned about the heart. And so what we're talking about here is is what's going on in your heart? Why would you want to bear false witness? Why would you want to give false testimony in a court proceeding against your neighbor? And what's going on is you are trying to craft truth in such a way that benefits you. Um, Augustine says, whoever pronounces any statement gives testimony to his own mind. So whenever we speak, whenever we believe something or invite others to believe something, we are laying down testimony. And so we're not just talking about court proceedings, but the expansive 
understanding of this commandment is we are to be people of truth. We're to be people who say true things, who act in accordance with true things, um, and who speak truth to our neighbor and about our neighbor. But, but we are using our words. The reason that this commandment is here, and, and the Lord had to say this, because in our sin, we use our words to try to craft our own truth. We're a narrative-writing people. Um, that's what people do. We are stories, and we write narratives, and we ask and demand that other people live in our narratives. I'm writing a story about my life, and you are all supporting characters, and I'm demanding that you come and get into my narrative and that that becomes your truth. And so um, as we do this, um, it, it does damage. And I, I got to see this play out in a very stark way in my house this past week. Um, I will not reveal which brother this was to protect their, their innocence but, um, or their lack of innocence. But one of my sons came running to me and said, Dad, Dad, and he was very upset. And he said, my brother just called me this name. And he said this to me. And I was so upset. And I was like, I'm on the war path. Like, let's go get him. And so we go find his brother. And I said, did you say this to your brother? He said, yeah, dad. And I said, uh, what were you thinking? And he said, well, I did say it to him. But I only said it to him after he called me that first. And he hit me. And I looked at his brother who was standing here watching the whole thing, and I said, is that true? And he said, yeah. <laughs> like, wow. But don't I do the same thing in just a more sophisticated way? Like, isn't that how we live? We're always trying to craft and shape and change the truth, which when we do that, it's, it's not the truth anymore. Um, and that's what's happening in, in this passage. We see that in both the Jews and Pilate. Uh, the, the Jews and Pilate, neither were concerned with the truth. They just wanted to figure out how to bend things around to meet their ends. Uh, the Jews wanted to destroy Jesus, and they didn't care how they had to do it. They wanted to destroy him because he was threatening their power. And if you have any doubt about this, we read in Matthew's Gospel, it says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, let's not do it during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And even from the very passage that we read, when Pilate, I mean, don't you love this? When Pilate asks, what accusation do you bring against this man? If we're going to have an official court proceeding, and you want me to adjudicate this matter, what is the charge? And what do they say? If he wasn't doing evil things, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Just trust us, all right? Like, I don't have to give you a charge. Just kill him. Um, Pilate wanted to prevent an uprising that would jeopardize his power. He doesn't care about the truth either. In fact, we know from history that Pilate was a very brutal man who executed people multiple times, including Jews, without a trial at all. He'd also stolen from the temple treasury to pay for government programs. So he was, he was a very cynical, skeptical, pragmatic person. And we, we know from another gospel account of this that his wife came to him when all this was happening and said, don't have anything to do with the execution of this man. And she called him this righteous man. But Pilate was so threatened by his, his little kingdom that his power was under such threat um, that that didn't stop him. The, whether the truth of this man being a righteous man, not deserving death, it, it didn't stop him from walking down this road. 
And then it, it, you know, it culminates, his conversation with Jesus culminates in him. It's really not so much a question as it is a statement. What is truth? I mean, is that not just drip with cynicism, skepticism, just, I'm just burned out. It's like when he asks that question, he's saying to Jesus, do you see where I live? Do you think I care anything about truth? You see this dog-eat-dog world that I live in? I don't care about truth. All I care about is not getting eaten. And so whatever I have to do to you is what I'm going to do to stay where I am. So they both, Pilate and the Jews, are working out of this power that comes from trying to testify falsely to create these false realities to gain power. And when you live like that, um, your relationship with the truth can only be this. This is from Jeremiah 9, 5, and 6. Everyone deceives his neighbor. No one speaks truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Jesus says elsewhere in John's gospel, the world hates me because I testify that, the, that its works are evil. In John 8.44, Jesus goes a little further to unpack this. Um, it says, you, he's saying this to a, to a group of uh, Jewish rulers, you are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so what Jesus is saying here is really intense and we really need to pay attention that um, when you and I speak false things, we are aligning ourselves with the great accuser, the enemy of God, who is working against all that is true. Because God's truth is the truth. And so when I'm trying to reshape this truth to make it false for my purposes, then I'm acting in accord with the enemy. And so I want to stop here and, and think about this. Um, how, how or what are ways in which we bear false witness in our lives? And there's uh, this group called uh, World Harvest Mission, and they've got this study called the Sonship Study. Some of y'all may be familiar, but there was something in that study called the tongue test. And I would invite all of you to take the tongue test this week, and here's what it is. For one week, try to go one week without doing the following. Slandering, gossiping, minimizing, exaggerating, defending yourself, blame-shifting, boasting, and telling half-truths. And, and I'll add another one, writing narratives about other people in your mind. So think about that. And, and even, even before you, if you do take my invitation and embark on this journey next week of, of taking the tongue test, even without doing that, when you hear those words, if you're honest and self-aware, you realize, wow, so much of what comes out of my mouth falls into one of these categories. Because I'm always, always, always trying to reshape the truth. And so we are hopeless. Like, where is there for us to go? And, and thankfully, um, we know the truth and we can know the truth.
And Jesus, as he says here, is the truth. And so now let's talk about that. Uh, Jesus, when he's talking to Pilate, he asks that question. Um, when Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Is what they're saying about you true? Jesus' answer is, can be confusing at first, but he says, do you say this of your own accord or have others said it to you about me? And essentially what he's saying there is he's poking a hole in uh, Pilate's power that comes from living a life of false witnessing. He's saying, wait a second, aren't you supposed to be the one who's in charge? You know as well as I do that I'm innocent, but the whole reason we're here having this conversation is because you're afraid of them. And you're supposed to be under them, or you're supposed to be over them. But now I'm un unveiling for you the reality that this power that comes, that's built on deceit, that's built on the world's power, is so fragile, and it's so fickle, and you don't have the authority that you think you have. And so the whole reason you and I are having this conversation is just revealing that your power is so fragile and so fleeting. And his answer, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be, not be delivered over the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus is saying, I am a king, but I'm not the kind of king that you think I am. I'm actually, at the same time, I'm not a threat to you at all because I'm not here with a sword trying to overthrow Caesar, but I'm also a threat to everything, everything that you know because I'm overthrowing this whole order. Because Jesus is saying here, like, look, if I were going to be a king like you, then I would just join the party, right? I'd go gather up a bunch of soldiers and we could throw our weight around and I could throw around my power and you would lose. But uh, that's not what I came to do. That's not the kind of king that I am. Um, I am the, I'm the kind of king that I didn't become king because men decided to make me king and men can't decide to take my kingship away from me. And guess what? Death can't even stop my reign as king. So this kind of king that I am is, is not any kind of king that you're familiar with. It's not built on the power and the deceit that your kingdom is built on. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. Essentially he's saying, yeah, you've said it. That's true. I am a king. And for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And it's like when Jesus says this, all of human history, all of the prophecy, all of everything comes crashing into this one moment. God has talked about how Jesus is coming for years and years and years. Just one example is Daniel 7, 13 and 14. The person who's standing before Pilate, who is looking very humble and is looking very meek and mild, uh, is this. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, who is God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And Jesus is saying, this is, this is who stands before you. And I've come for this one reason, to bear witness, to bear true testimony to what is the truth. And the truth about what, you ask? The truth about everything. The truth about who God is, about who you are, 
and what God has come to do and how God is interacting with this world that he's created that's fallen under slavery of sin. His creatures, his people who have run and rebelled against him, like this is who God is and what he has come to do. Jesus says in, in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Revelation 1, 5, it's said about Jesus that he is the faithful witness. He is the truth teller. He is testifying to what is true. He is also ruler of kings of the earth. And he has loved us and freed us by his blood. That is who God is. That is what God has come to do. And we are desperately in need of him doing that very thing. You know, in our passage, uh, Jesus is crucified in exchange for Barabbas being released. And it's interesting that the name Barabbas means son of the father. And so, like Barabbas, um, we are all in prison in this mess that we've made, that we are, the guilt is ours. And Jesus, the innocent one, has come and taken our place so that we can be sons of the father. That is who God is. That is what he is doing. John 3, 14 through 17 said this. The son of man must be lifted up, must be lifted up on a cross and crucified that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. And Jesus says elsewhere, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And Jesus is standing here before Pilate and before us. His words are truth, his life, his actions are truth, and his very person is truth. And even here, he's standing in front of Pilate, and he is saying, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This is an invitation to Pilate and to us. If you would listen to my voice, if you would believe me, then you will be citizens of this new kingdom. You will be freed from having to live like this. You will be freed from having to live in this web of deceit that is wearying you and killing you. You will be free from being threatened and having your little kingdom and your little power threatened at every turn, every day, with every interaction that you have. And Pilate says in response, what is truth? Like, I don't care. I'm not accepting this invitation. And because Jesus is not a king like Pilate, he's not going to force himself on him. He's going to make the offer and it's ours to refuse or to take. But Jesus is saying, I, I love you, and I want you to accept this offer. You know, we can, the phrase living your truth is, is very uh, prevalent right now. And if I have to put the word your in front of truth, then that means it's not the truth. Because there's only one truth. And so I can live my truth, but whatever my truth is, is going to land me in the same place Pilate's truth landed him. If I'm committed to living my truth, and it's anything other than the truth that is the gospel, then I'm going to have power, and I'm going to have a kingdom, and I'm going to have a life just like Pilate. 
which means I'm going to be left cynical and skeptical and burned out and hollowed out. But again, Jesus says, if you listen to me, you will know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. I have come to give life and life abundant. I've come to set you free. And so now when we take Jesus at his word, when we take him at his invitation, what happens? What what does it mean that the truth sets us free? What does that mean in, in my everyday life? Because that's what we care about right (laughs) like this isn't some pie in the sky deal that like has no bearing on our everyday life this has eternal life in Christ starts now like today and so what does this mean for us how does the truth set us free just a couple ways here Um, one we're set free to tell the truth about ourselves first John 1 8 and 9 says this if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what Jesus is saying now is that I don't have to be afraid to be honest about my sin anymore. I used to spend so much time hiding and changing and all of the tongue tests, right? Like minimizing, exaggerating, defending myself just running and hiding from this sin because I knew that if I was honest about this sin, I would stand condemned. It would condemn me and you would condemn me and God would condemn me and everyone would condemn me. And so I've got to spend my life running, running, running away from what's true. And Jesus is saying, now you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to expend all that energy. In fact, my invitation is that you come and willingly, voluntarily, Before you get caught, tell the truth about yourself. Because what happens when you do that is, one, you're forgiven. God is faithful and just to forgive you because Jesus has taken all of that on himself. You will not be condemned. You are free. God loves you because of what Jesus has done for you. But it also says that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Telling the truth about my sin is is part of the program that God is using in his power to set me free from it, to bring healing and wholeness and life and freedom. And so now I have a very different orientation toward my sin and toward you finding out about my sin. Now I'm free, and and now I can do something else. Um, I can invite other people to show me my sin and help me see it because we have blind spots. If you doubt that, then think about this. When we see pictures of ourselves and videos of ourselves and hear recordings of ourselves, and we're like, is that what I really look like? Is that what my voice really sounds like? Like, we love to run away from objective truth about who we are and what we look like and sound like, and we we would much rather live in this little world of what I, I think I look like and what I think I sound like. But now, we don't have to do that anymore. Now we can invite people, hey, Can you show me if there are any blind spots? Can you show me any places where sin is actually leading me to death so that I can confess it and be healed? And it works the other way too. I mean, a lot of us, I think, would have no problem saying, like, I am a sinner. I am a sinner, and I'm very in touch with my sin and what it does to the people around me. But it may be harder for us to believe the truth about us now in Christ. 
And so we're also free to tell the truth about ourselves in Christ. And when I want to speak lies to myself about who I am and just continue to live in the shame and the guilt of my sin and who I was, now I can speak the truth to myself in Christ that I am God's son, that he loves me, that his love is eternally fixed and unchanging and he is well pleased with me. That's who I am. And when I get out of bed and live out of that truth, which is the truth every single day, that changes dramatically the way that I live. And so now we can speak the truth about ourselves both in our sin and in our Heavenly Father's love for us. And another thing that the truth sets us free to do is to suffer as we testify to others about the truth. You know, I don't have to spend all my energy trying to build my own kingdom now because I have a kingdom. It's not of this world. It's not mine. It's not fragile like me. It's very strong. It's eternal. It's rooted in Jesus. It's unending. It's here now. It will be here forever. It's spreading. This is the kingdom that I'm a citizen of now. And when I tell the truth about who God is and how he loves me, and how he invites you to live in truth, that sets you free. And that's what God is doing with us. We are a kingdom of priests. We are a, as his people, we are priests. We are people who live close to God and are inviting others into that closeness. And I want you to hear this from Revelation 12, 11. This is where we're going to land today. This, you know, Revelation is John has, has been given this vision by God of all these things that are coming. And he sees the saints. He sees the people of God who are in Christ. And it says this, and these people have conquered the accuser. They've conquered the enemy. They've conquered Satan by the blood of the lamb, by the finished work of Jesus on the cross on their behalf, and by the word of their testimony, that there is power when I testify to the truth of who God is and what he has done for me. When I, with my life and my words and my actions, speak the truth about I am a sinner in need of grace and Jesus is my Savior and he has saved me and he is continuing to give me new life as he changes me, that is a power that sets other people free because I'm inviting other people into, into this relationship with Jesus, into this truth. And it says, they've conquered the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And so now we can be like Jesus and we can stand before Pilate and anybody else that we come before and even if we're facing suffering and death like he did, we like him can be free, free in that. I can stand before anyone and offer to them this truth of God's deep, deep love that they were created for, this relationship that they were created for. And, and it, I want with all of my being for them to believe Jesus and to accept this invitation but at the end of the day, I'm not so hung up on building my own little kingdom that I care about what they think of me, that that would prevent me from sharing this truth that could set them free. And so now, as this kingdom of priests, 
in the circles that God's already put us in, in these orbits in our lives that people come into and out of all the time, with our lives, with our words, we are testifying about who God is and what he has done and watching as he sets people free through our testimony and through the blood of the Lamb. That's a really fun way to live. Father, Lord, you are, uh, you are so kind to us. You are so patient. You are so gentle. Just like Jesus before Pilate. Just so gentle. And so strong because you don't need to flex. You're so secure, Jesus, in your Father's love for you. May we be that secure in your love for us and our Father's love for us. That with our lives we would tell the truth and that it would be the joy of our hearts to see your truth told through our words and through our lives in a way that sets others free. And Lord, now as we continue to worship you, I pray that you would set us free. You would continue to set us free from the sin that is still entangling us. Thank you for making the promise that you will not, that you will finish what you started in us. And Lord, as you, as you work, even this morning, you are continuing keeping that promise that you are making us new. You are making all things new. So Lord, um, melt our hearts as we give ourselves to you in worship. Change us. Uh, bring us new life. Continue to bring us into uh, this kingdom in all of its fullness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.